0: My third book, Breakout of Boredom, Low-Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom Events, will officially launch in just four weeks on March 13, 2023. Do you remember what you were doing on March 13, 2020? That's the week some of us accepted the world was changing and jumped into learning Zoom to stay relevant as a speaker or educator. Other folks hung back, hoping this would not be a big disruption, that life would return to quote unquote normal within a few weeks or maybe a few months. The skill level of these speakers and educators were markedly lower in the fall of 2020 compared to their peers who worked hard to consistently improve their Zoom skills. Regardless of which camp you fell into in 2020, it's likely you haven't continued to work hard to improve your Zoom skills once you had the basics down. If your Zoom skills are stuck in 2020, my newest book will help you get up to speed and you'll begin to see how Zoom can be used to create wonderfully engaging, interactive, and memorable online experiences. Join my book launch team now and you'll receive extra bonuses and early access just for committing to writing an Amazon review. Sign up at robbysamuels.com forward slash breakout launch. Again, the link to sign up for the book launch team is robbysamuels.com forward slash breakout launch. If you'd rather hire a professional Zoom producer or need help with virtual event design, reach out. My team and I would love to support you and your team now Onto this week's interview. Today's guest is known as the LinkedIn Whisperer. An experienced sales trainer, she has extensive knowledge of traditional sales techniques and has adapted them for LinkedIn. As CEO of Social Sales Link, she guides professionals to establish themselves as a thought leader with a subject matter expert brand. She helps them find and engage their target market by leveraging clients and networking partners For warm introductions to qualified buyers. Sounds good to me. She is the co host of the Making Sales Social podcast and author of The LinkedIn Sales Playbook, a tactical guide to social selling. Please join me in welcoming Bryn Tillman.
1: Hello, Robbie. I'm so excited to be here. This is so fun.
0: Bryn, you used to live around the corner for me. You're now over in New Jersey. Thanks for joining us from your, your place in New Jersey. As you know, this is a show at Building Strong Networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to
1: lead? So I think leadership is a very simple definition. It's like leading a group of people. And I I, I know that sounds like You know, you ask this question, and I'm going to come out with this amazing definition. But really, you know, we can talk about leadership from a family perspective, from a business perspective, from an influencer perspective, but ultimately, it's leading a group of people somewhere, some way, somehow. So interesting that you ask, when did I see myself as a leader? Uh, Because in my career, Uh, I was a salesperson, and then instead of going into management or leadership, I actually went into training, and I thought I didn't want leadership. I thought I didn't want to be responsible for other people, and what I realized is when I took this path into the training world, it was leadership, and it didn't mean that people had to be accountable to me. What it meant was that what I was providing was hopefully a value, right? Like that what we're doing is valuable and people are seeing that and deciding to follow that methodology, to follow those tips. And I think I, uh, I lead people to better solutions and sales by using the power of LinkedIn.
0: I love that. And I think you're right about the simplicity I remember being asked this question once and I said, well, leaders have followers and if they don't have followers, they're not leading. And it's like to you, it's like, it's pretty simple. I think the actual doing of leadership is the complicated part, um, but ultimately is about moving people to take a certain action. And you're now talking about the context of training people and you were eschewing the traditional like management role, um, the supervisor role, the director role, that kind of thing. But then you discovered like, oh, wow, I'm a trainer. I'm not, I'm still a Huh, I'm still doing this this whole leading thing. I'm kind of curious if we roll the clock back. That sounds like an earlier part of your career, but let's roll the clock back even more. What were you like as a kid? Like on the playground? Um, did you organize your group of friends? Did you run for school office? Did teachers take notice of you? Did you hide in the corner? Like I don't know who were you? Yeah. Doing?
1: So I have always been an extrovert. Um, what I was as like I had very small group of very good friends. So even though I was an extrovert, I was really, I curated a small group of friends. I was not someone that had huge, uh, you know, it, it, he, just a huge group of people that, you know, and I was not a big partier. I was like, hey, let's hang out at the mall or, you know, but what I did do and I still do is I was the one that brought the people together. I was the organizer of the event. I was, you know, still today I'm texting, "Hey, card night?" Question mark, right? Like, I'm, uh, which I still play games because I love them. Um, but I, that's that's the role I played, even as a young kid. Is I was the organizer of the events. Um, At one point, I thought I'd even go into event planning, but then I realized I really only wanted to do it for me and my friends and my family, and it wasn't something I wanted to uh, pursue as a career. But I still do it. I still love planning holidays and business meetings and summits, even online summits. Still way fun.
0: Bringing people together is a core superpower of yours. Now you were doing that sort of informally, you know, like as part of a social group. Did you do it in a more formal sense? Did you like, I don't know, take on the prom committee or, you know, I don't know, something like that?
1: Yeah, um, I, I was always on a lot of committees. I did run for eighth grade president and lost to Chris Ventura, who he deserved it. He just really did. <laughs> he was such a great guy, um, but-
0: Shout out to Chris. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, I was happy for him. Um, he promised some very strange things like no homework on Fridays, but anyway, moving on. I, great guy. Uh, so I did run, but I was always involved in things. I, after school groups, um, did I, I don't recall if I had officially would head a committee, but I always seemed to run the room, <laughs> whether it was official or not. I don't recall exactly. Um, but I will say, like I, you mentioned, I'm in New Jersey. I was close to you in February, which is now like nine months ago. I moved to a new town, West Orange, New Jersey. I never lived here. And now I'm going to be on the board of the West Orange Chamber of Commerce in under a year. Cause that's my thing, right? I show up, I get involved, I get excited. And so I'm like, so excited to have that opportunity, But that's what I do. I like to get involved and I, you know, and I will be on the membership committee and the marketing committee.
0: So I tell you, there's a way in which sometimes you trace these stories back and it's so clear. You've always been you, right? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. um, and it's fun to see like how you've taken that into a business model or even uh, how do you integrate yourself into a community that these are the skills that you sort of lean into. So 12 years old, what were you going to be when you grew up? What was the big vision career-wise?
1: So there were a few. So by 12, it was an event planner. So I had that in the back of my head for a a while. At nine, I wanted to be a dolphin trainer. So, but I grew out of that one, but who wouldn't want to be a dolphin trainer, right? Like, please. So, so I wanted to be an event planner. And then I actually started working at 14 and I did a lot of babysitting and I knew I, I wanted to be a mom, so that was good. Um, but I just started working at the local Friendly's ice cream shop, right? And I loved it. I was waitressing and I was making money and I was working with people. So I thought I loved the restaurant business because I loved my job. So I went to school for hospitality management where the event planning was sort of like it was kind of attached to that. Um, And then I realized what I really loved were the people, not the restaurant, (laughs) right? So I really, I ended up in a sales position for Dun & Bradstreet. I also had a new child, so I couldn't do the hours of restaurant and hospitality management and event planning. So I got a nine to five in a sales role and I never looked back.
0: Okay. I didn't know we had this in common my first job in college, I had many other side jobs and working with my parent kind of jobs. My first like job in college was at a friendlies and Yay! I started in the kitchen. Uh, oh, yeah. I had no restaurant experience and I started in the kitchen and I was nervous about waiting tables, which is funny because right. clearly I'm a person who likes people. And, but I was like, I don't know how this works, but you know, within a few weeks, of being in the kitchen, I start helping out. And next thing you know, I'm delivering things to the table to help out. And then I cross-train myself to do the the ice cream because they would be shorthanded. And so I was like, teach me these things. And I was there for a number of years, actually. And, um, you know, I love, like, you're right. Like there's a way about organized chaos and how you work together as a team and you're all trying to achieve something. And I loved event planning and I did do event planning for many years. And I think there was a corollary to the restaurant and event planning world of actually some of the best people I've hired as interns have been, you know, some role, um, even greeters uh at restaurants who had to like coordinate, you know, who was gonna sit where. Like there's a tactical mind in that. Um, so it makes sense that it's but it wasn't the context you loved, it was the people. I can really I can really relate to that as well. Um and
1: that and and the people I worked with too the the team, right? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and the timing and the, you know, and you've got to wait and you've got to make. And so I ended up, I worked for years. I worked through college. So I started at 14 and I worked all the way through college. Wow. So, so I spent many, in, in, I went to school in Rhode Island and they had a friendlies there. So that's where I worked. So, did. Yep. That's what we did. So, so I ended up running shifts and managing. Yeah. That's when I realized, so I was managing people. And that's when I realized I didn't want to go into management. Or, or what I thought was leadership. Right. And, and here's the thing. And this is definitely an area that I either need to learn or not, because I'm doing okay without it, is uh, these are my friends and I don't like the accountability, The like I'm uncomfortable with asking people to do things they're uncomfortable with. And that's not great management. And I recognized that even in my own company i manage one person who manages everyone else cuz even even like so she reached out to me she's like okay we have two year anniversary do you want to do the evaluation I'm like you know she she reports to you here's the you know what i yeah. care about you can do it like i just want to have fun and so i figured out a way to do that i have one right. person that's self motivated who manages the team. And it's great. I call but, her my boss.
0: Um, you know, I, I have like six different tracks in my brain. One, I just want to tell you that I, after I left that job friendly is I ended up walking in, I was trying to get a restaurant job that paid more of the, you know, bar and, a, but I, on my way to applying, I stopped at a Taco Bell and they were hiring. So I, I didn't have any other jobs. So I filled in the application and they got, and I told the guy I would work weekends and I'd work nights and I was a college student. And they were like, uh, great. And basically they were like, you're hired. Come on, come on Wednesday for uh, you know, your outfit. I was like, Oh, I have till Wednesday to get a different job. Well, they made me a shift manager three days after I started.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's great.
0: I didn't, I didn't have friendships with all the people the way the other shift manager did. And he was a slacker. And so they didn't love him after a while. Cause he, he did not help them. He like, mm-hmm. you know, smoke pot in the bathroom, basically. <laughs> And if they weren't in there with him smoking, they were upset because they were the ones taking care of everything. We got so much done. We were camaraderie, yeah. but like I learned a lot about people and also it's really different working with that kind of workforce than like what you might in a company later on when they're, mm-hmm. everyone's in their thirties, maybe not. Um, but I, I love that you're like thinking about sort of how does these skills apply? And I also met someone who was really happy to be the, Number two in our business, like I remember they they came and did a presentation about their they didn't want to be the entrepreneur who took all the risks. They wanted to run the business for the entrepreneur who who was taking all the risks. I think that is a valuable skill. and that if critical. you could just know that about yourself, it could be someone listening right now who didn't realize that could be a career goal, not that you want to run the business, but that you want to run someone's business for them.
1: Yes, that's great. You know, it's fun. My brother has an incredibly successful company in Colorado, who and he owns the business, um, but his COO does everything. And I had asked him once, are you ever afraid she's going to go off on her own? And he said, absolutely not. She's perfect here. She doesn't want to take those risks, but she is much better at the operations than I could ever be. Right. Um, so yeah, and uh, you, know, you know, she you know, owns a piece of the business because she's right. so valuable.
0: I mean, that's the kind of thing you have to figure out how to make that investment of their commitment really worth it to them. But like what piece of mind and Ben's strength. Like mm-hmm. you're not just relying on you. If you're not feeling well, someone else knows how your business runs. I mean, it could even be a really well trained assistant that you just lean on over time. They become an operations manager, right? Like mm-hmm. that role can be something that someone could like live into. Um, experience their way into that. But you, if you know that that's who you are, I mean, having operations skills, managing the internal part mm-hmm. of a business, you get to speak and write books and do podcasts. And
1: <laughs> if you, Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, that uh, when I brought on Kath, who is my boss, and I call her my boss, right? When I brought her on, not only did my company grow faster, but the quality of my life was mm-hmm. unbelievable like if I have an idea I just email her in the past I had an idea and an hour later I forgot what it was mm-hmm. now it's on the list every Monday where are we with this what do we want to do with like she just keeps things moving and I've been able to launch more programs and uh, just I I have it just gets done and sh- and she's not even the one doing it all she's right. the one managing the people doing it all
0: It's an amazing skill. I remember interviewing Jennifer Brown. She was episode 115. So that's back in late 2018. This is a long time ago. Um, and she said the first person she hired was, was someone who was going to basically be a C-suite level person who knew more than she did about the day-to-day management of a company. Mm -hmm. Like that was her first decision was to have that role filled. And even though her business is is her name, like that's the thing that's really interesting. It's it's not like some other, you know, company. It's Julie Brown Consulting, um, or Jennifer Downhand Brown. I Julie say. Brown. Jennifer, Jennifer Brown Consulting. Yeah. And that that to me is amazing that she's built yeah. up a whole team of people facing both internally and facing clients and. I love the idea. Like, how do we expand beyond ourselves? So, like, you've clearly built into that. Now, you, so just going back to your timeline, you get hospitality, you realize you, you know, you don't have time for all this, <laughs> got a new kid. Um, and now you land into sales. Now, I have to say, for most people, sales at first is super scary. So, how did you feel back then about sales?
1: Yeah. So, I didn't know it was a sales job. So, <laughs> let's just start there. Um, It was an inbound order taking job is really what it was, right? So there was a queue all the time of uh, dozens, sometimes hundreds of people with maybe we had maybe 150 people in our call center and another one in Houston, and we were just taking an enormous amount of calls. I was bored being an order taker. So I started asking people questions. Oh, what kind of business? Like they were buying business reports that were helping them decide the credit of the person they were going to sell to. And so I started asking questions and this is when I really did become a salesperson officially even. Um, So I'm talking to this one woman who had this little tiny company in, I I think Jersey city who got an order from a huge department store, one of the biggest in the world, Nation anyway. And I pull up the report and I see she's a textile company. And I can see on my end that they pay textiles 120 to 180 days. She's this little company with this great big order. Right? So I see this information and I said to her, there is a report that we have called the payment analysis report that will tell you how they'll pay. And I couldn't tell her what it was because she hadn't bought it but how they pay your industry and if it is not aligned with your cash flow. And because we were trained well, I said, you know, you can always take this to a bank and get a bridge loan with your contract. And she's like, okay. So she spent an extra 50 bucks and this is a long time ago on the report. And six months later, we got a, a written letter. The, vp of the department came down and said you saved this woman's business and so i yeah like that's really cool right so i recognized at that point you say you know some people feel funny about sales when i first realized i was really in sales it was solving a huge problem for someone that they didn't even know they had that problem and so i entered sales from a different perspective i entered the sales world from a solutions perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I never had that icky sales feeling because I my goal was always to be a resource and to be valuable to the person I was selling to, not to just sell something for a commission.
0: I love this story. I love that it was sort of your, you were like, I'm trying to be helpful. Just, this is not an upsell. I just, you might want to have this information, hint, hint, 50 bucks is right. probably gonna be worth it. Here's what you can use this for. Here's why it's valuable. I mean, the value proposition was so clear that she's like, sure. And $50 may have been a lot of money, but it seemed like you made the case for it. I want to say though, that even though you came to sales without knowing it was sales, the used car salesman, you know, thing is still out there. And like, it is affiliated with that, you know, smarmy selling things to people that they don't need the whole snake oil. Like, Did you ever have to really reconcile, oh, but to me, this is helping people with other people hearing you say sales and putting you in a category of people that you don't want to be associated with?
1: Um, So it's an interesting question. And I'm going to answer this like on the fly. So I may say something and then change my mind. But (laughs) I think social selling, I teach LinkedIn for social selling, got a bad name in the industry pretty early on because people saw it as connect and pitch and people are still connecting and pitching, but that's spam. That's not social selling. So here's another story, which is interesting. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Jeb Blount uh, from sales gravy and uh, Mark Hunter, uh, uh, Anthony and Areno. So they're, they're the outbound. They run the outbound conference every year out of Atlanta. It's huge. They have a huge presence Uh, Mike Weinberg was the fourth one. They have a huge presence in the sales world. And I'm going to say five years ago, maybe, maybe four years ago, they did a live podcast attacking social selling and how bad of advice it is from the social sellers out there. So I, I was barely on their radar And, you know, I'm listening to this and I'm like, you know what? They're wrong, but you can't go out and say, these are like big names in the industry and just go, you're wrong. So I publicly called out Jeb Blunt, sales gravy. And I said, I would like to go head to head with you on your podcast. So I called him out and, you know, made the best sales process win. So it was a, I think to date, still the most download listened to. Like amazing, crazy. At the end of it, I'm going to just make it a shorter story because there's a few things in between. My course is on his platform.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> there's right? so much to unpack in that. Like, so one, you're saying if you firmly believe that ideologically, And ethically, you feel aligned, like the work you're doing in the world feels correct, even though some are misattributing what you do to be a social ill, that you should stand your ground and not just behind people's backs and talk about them and, you know, say snarky things, but like trust yourself enough to go head to head with the person who's making this big claim and it's got a big platform. So people are going to listen to them. And so it's a value that you put yourself out there. And if you were going to find out that what you were devoting time into was in fact not going to work and was bad in some way, better to find that out then and there, <laughs> course correct and build something different than to keep secretly building something on the side that people are hearing bad is a bad reputation. And instead, you probably shot to the top of people's radar. I can't wait. I'm going to find the link. We're going to put it in the show notes because that sounds like just a really interesting ideological debate about a sales yeah. process and a great way to get on people's radar and defend. Because I think that the process, I, I, a lot of things that I teach fall into this category. So you're really into sales. My background is I was in fundraising and taught fundraising. So that has its own angstiness that people associate with it. And then ultimately I was really well known for teaching people how to network. And the word network is another one of these words that most people see it as using and transactional. And I'm like, not, the, not the way I'm doing, you know, sort of like what you're saying. It's like, well, not. I mean, don't throw out the whole thing because some people are doing it wrong. Um, but you we really throw out
1: everything. Yeah. We think that were the case, right? Like, we would just be like, always people doing it wrong, whatever always. it is.
0: And loud people doing it wrong. And people yeah. who get a lot of visibility doing it wrong. And like, unfortunately, we still, if we still believe there's value in the work that we're doing, we need to keep holding fast to that truth and putting it out in the world. And that's, I mean, your podcast is great because I think it it brings a lot of this to light in a way that's really easy to consume and understand and take action on. And it's not just like, the words but it's the hey, here's how you do it and here's examples you also have a lot of fun you and your co-hosts that's <laughs> a yeah. really fun con- uh, like conversation listening to listen into. um but when did you go from sales in-house and did you move around from different company to mm-hmm. company like was that was there like a whole career doing sales before you decided yes. to
1: yes um i i ended up in banking and financial services and I was I started with selling leasing and so I ended up in that world um and then I was a community relations officer for a bank and part of it was my job was to bring lots of people through the doors through events through just because it was a new bank and they needed name recognition and all that stuff so event planning but I was in sales right so in the business development so I did bring all that back in Uh, And I met a fabulous woman who was one. we we had a lot of guest speakers come in and we would fill the bank community room with, you know, dozens and dozens of people to learn for free, all that fun stuff. Uh, Great job. And she said to me, I would like to start. She was working for a sales training company. And she's like, I'd like to start my own sales training business. Would you like to go into business with me? And, you know, I, I spent like maybe three minutes going pros, cons, pros, cons and went, yeah, sure. So we launched a sales training. She, she's very close to you. We launched a sales training company. But at that point, I had been teaching LinkedIn for about a year and a half. Um, and I brought lots of people into the bank by teaching LinkedIn. Nobody had ever heard of it when I was teaching it, which was really fun. Um, and I said to her, you know, I really don't want to teach cold calling. And I don't want to teach overcoming objections. And I just want to teach leveraging your our social proximity on LinkedIn. How do we l- network to business on LinkedIn? And she's like, that's a fad. It's not a thing. So nine years ago in September, I think it was nine years, we gave each other a hug. And she said, you know, when this LinkedIn thing is over, Let me know. Come on back. Her business is thriving and so is mine.
0: That's amazing. Um,
1: Yeah. But she
0: got you out of the sort of relative safety and comfort, or at least the illusion of safety and comfort of a nine to five job um, and into the world of entrepreneurship. Um, Had you already had any inkling that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Were there entrepreneurs in your life? Were you part of entrepreneurship communities? No, none of that.
1: No, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I mean, I, I, I was in sales. I made money in sales and business development. I loved it. I will say, you know, often in sales you feel entrepreneurial with a safety net, right? Like almost every sales job I ever had, I made my own hours. I did what I had to do. I went where I needed to go. I did all I had to do was make my numbers, right? So, I felt entrepreneurial. And so there, and I had, you know, I had kids through, you know, and people to take care of, and fortunately at the time my husband had benefits, so I didn't have to worry about that. That would have been the one thing that held me back actually.
0: Hmm. But thankfully that wasn't, wasn't in the cards. Yeah. Yeah, I also think it's interesting that you were teaching LinkedIn because of your role at the bank where you were just trying to offer, you know, valuable content. Um, and so that gave you a sense that LinkedIn was a thing more so than maybe even your friend understood. And then you also, when she posed to you, let's do this like business together. And you were like, yeah, but I really don't want to do these other sort of traditional sales technique things. I want to do within context of LinkedIn. What what a wonderful moment to have all of this sort of click together, like that conversation I think brought this possibility forward. It wasn't
1: hundred percent.
0: It wasn't like far away from you, but it also wasn't right in front of you. You weren't acting on it. Right. And who were your initial clients? Like, how do you figure out what the offer is and who the audience is when you're trying to sell something that no one knows exists? I mean, even your your business partner couldn't see the value in this yeah. proposition. So, how how do you find out the people who are early enough adopters could get the value and would pay for it?
1: Well. I got very lucky. You know, it's it's when preparation meets timing or whatever that saying is, right? So um, in Philadelphia, one of the large companies is Aramark. And um, they had just gone through the challenger training. The book had just come out. And they went to the trainers and said, okay, now what? Now that we know how to, how do we prospect using the challenger? And they said, go get LinkedIn training. So they put out in one of the Philadelphia groups, does anyone know any good LinkedIn trainers? And a lot of people, there were other companies that were being tagged in this. uh, And I was one of them. So I reached out to Nicole Bradley. And I said, you know, hey, I saw this post. I was a little more formal than that, I'm sure. But I'd love to be considered. Um, here's, you know, a link to our website. This is what we do. And about a half hour later, I got a message back saying, we're Aramark and you're one person. It's just not going to fly. So I went to Lori Richardson, no wrong Lori Richardson. I just messed. That's a different Lori Richards, who was the Lori Richardson runs women's sales pros, Lori Richards was a professor at Rutgers that I taught a class for once a semester on LinkedIn. She was a, she taught sales at Rutgers. I saw that she was a connection of Nicole Bradley. So I reached out to her and I said, how do you know Nicole? And she said, oh, she was one of my favorite students. I loved her. So I said, here's the situation. Can you put in a good word? Not only did she put in a good word, but she took her out for lunch. They caught up and she said, I'm not going to tell you to use Brynn, but I'm going to say you've got to meet with her. So at the end of the, they met with me, a 30 minute meeting ended up three hours. They actually handed me the challenger sale and said, can you write a course for us? But the reason I got the job was because the way I got the job is the way I was going to teach their salespeople to get their jobs, to get their business using social proximity and no one else leveraged any of their shared connections to go a step above. So, you know, not only was that a huge client, you can imagine, but Nicole Bradley knew someone at Comcast. (laughs) So she made an introduction there. And then Comcast became my client and then, you know, and then, and so I started to practice who did the people at Comcast, who do they know? And at the end of the year, because of one opportunity, you know, I had a whole company.
0: Yeah. I, and you had the social proof, um, galore (laughs) with these big name companies. That you delivered excellent you know value to and i love that you leverage the same tool you were going to teach them it's like it's very meta it's very proof is in the pudding you know
1: yeah this is how pra- it works practice what i teach i practice yeah, what I this teach. is how it works yeah.
0: um it's funny because i'm now doing a little more thoughtful kind of outbound but i my entire business has been inbound and yeah it's because i'm always networking and i'm always marketing <laughs> It, i mean, it, You could call it outbound, but it doesn't feel that way because it's not like a pipeline. Right. It's just being visible, following up, reaching out, sending cards, calling people, helping people, collaborating. Like, right? And so, when I tell people like it works to lean into your network, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I can give you a formal process to do it so you remember to do it. But if you just live this way, like, I don't think for you it was a second thought. You were like, oh, I can reach this person to reach this person. Now she went above me on, which is amazing. She says a lot about the strength of your relationship. Also being invited to speak at a school is, you know, if anything, handshake money, mostly it's nothing.
1: No, I, so if, I don't think I got paid for yeah, a while. I,
0: Most yeah. of the time, you don't, know, right? I've done a bunch of those and I, and I was teaching at a college that I brought in people and we didn't pay them a dime. Right. Um, so your willingness to do those kinds of things, again, the ripple effect is, is often unknown. That that was going to turn into like the parlay into Aramark and turn like it's just amazing these moments that you decide is this pro bono thing opportunity like worth it you you have to sort of see around the corner sometimes and right. I think when you when you're operating on relationships versus transactions I think you can see the the relative benefit to this one yeah, moment than other people might so
1: so I you know I have a definition of social selling that kind of fits right into this, which is social selling is about building rapport, providing real value, developing trust and credibility by being a resource, understanding that the sales will come when the time is right. And and that's the bottom line. You have to detach from what the prospect is worth to you and attach to what you are worth to the prospect. And when you do that, you win every time.
0: I feel like everyone's ear is listening just perked up because I think that framing it's just, it's an important shift. And it makes so much sense. It reminds me a lot of when I learned about Profit First by Mike McAllowitz. how great I'm like, oh, of course I should pay myself first. And, you know, put my money aside for retirement and put my money aside for taxes and then decide what's left is what I spend on expenses. Like that just, that's what I would do to paycheck. But like, as an entrepreneur, you're just like floating around with money. And like the same thing is like, you hear that you're supposed to be networking and it's this amorphous idea, but the way you just described it, it's like less you know, detached from the value of the prospect and think about the value you're offering. Exactly. I mean, that, I mean, when the when the pandemic shut down my in-person focused business, my mantra was show up and add value. That Lovely. was what I kept repeating to myself. It was like, and, and in fact, it's what led me to host, to write uh, a, a nine ways to network in a pandemic, blog posts on thursday march 12th 2020 and to host my first virtual happy hour on march 13th 2020 now did i do those things knowing that the end of the year i'd have a really thriving business in that world no yeah (laughs) but you can't see around the corner you have to believe things are going to unfold but you have to take action you can't just be like i hope this will one day be better (laughs) i hope this is one day be better like it's not thinking differently it's the action. And I, and I wanted to sort of tease that up because it wasn't just that she did something for you. It's that you did something for her first. Oh yeah. Right. You helped out Lori first with nothing right. in return.
1: Right. Right. And then
0: some time passes and she's able to do something for you. Like that's a beautiful thing. So very cool example, meta example that led to a big business. And then now you're attached, you know, you're known within certain industries, which is very cool. And LinkedIn must have been really new still. So there was a lot of need for training teams on how to do this. I think you, you oh. hit a moment.
1: Oh, I, yeah, and I, I mean, I would say I was probably in the top 10 companies doing this Maybe. from a sales perspective. Yeah. There were companies that were teaching LinkedIn from finding a job perspective and from recruiting. I was very oh. early on um, in the sales, uh, the social selling world before Sales Navigator ever existed. If I could just tell a quick funny line, which kind of pulls into what I just talked about. Sales Navigator, sales solutions, launches. There's a sales rep who's respo- out of New York who's responsible for Philadelphia. He has two appointments in Philadelphia, one at Aramark and one at Comcast. And both of them said, we don't make any LinkedIn decisions without Bryn Tillman. And so very early on I was on their radar and I was, I then became an advisor and I worked with the product team. And so, um, you know, it's kind of a, a, like, who are you? And still like, so, um, I'm still in contact with those folks that I met really, really early on. Neither of all three of the major people that I worked with have moved on, but I'm doing a, social selling summit. And one of them is coming in talking about the origins of sales navigator. Like I still have these relationships that are awesome. So, um, you know, it's, it's, if to your point, if you are out there networking and bringing value and like, it just, there's magic in the universe in, in the energy that you put out there. And when you really are altruistic and you're not looking at everyone as how much they're worth to you, and you're looking at each of them as how much are you worth to them? Your net worth grows, both networking and and financial. Like it's just it's just the way that we should all be as human beings.
0: Right. Yeah. This is one of the reasons I I feel like I was drawn to who you were um when you and I crossed paths early in I feel like really in the middle of like before the pandemic and we the beginning were, of the pandemic. Were,
1: it was the last in-person event. I think it was yes, February before right. the pandemic.
0: Oh, you, you're actually part of the reason I ended up moving to Philadelphia area because <laughs> we got we went out to dinner. Yeah, and I got yeah, to know. Oh area. my god, I
1: had so much fun! You were the, one of the best things that came out of that event.
0: <laughs> yeah, heroic public speaking. Yeah, um, which yeah, they're yeah, amazing man. people. Yeah, amazing.
1: They're amazing. My, my favorite TED Talk ever is from them: Michael Porton, Amy.
0: Amy Port, actually. Port. They, oh, yeah,
1: they, they married. Yeah, they
0: yeah. married. They now, yeah. yep. yep. They're officially, officially sharing the same last name. So yep. when you think about networking for yourself, you know, you have that inner circle of people that whether you see them or talk to them regularly or not, it's going to pick up real easy when you do. Like, mm-hmm. nothing has passed. You, you you know you've got those tight relationships. But then I always think there's like the second and third tier or layers out where these are people that you maybe saw maybe once a year at a conference or you work with them five years ago, but you haven't had a reason to since. Oh, and you like each other. should have breakfast. Mm-hmm. You enjoy each other's company. How do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of weaker connections? Any habits, philosophies? Weak ties.
1: So yeah, I, I, I love the weak tie conversation and let's just from a LinkedIn perspective, Eighty-five percent of your LinkedIn connections or more are weak ties. So, I'm going to attack this question with the LinkedIn answer, which is take inventory of your connections, identify prospects, clients, referral partners, people that are are uh, folks that you should be having conversations with, and have been ignoring. But then. To stick with, we've got to show up as a resource. We've got to be of value. What we need to show up with is something that is really important to them. Now, there's a lot of different ways we can do this. One of them, one of my favorites, but by the way, I love video. And you could just use free video on your mobile phone. You can send a, a video message. And I prefer this message to be in video. And what I might do is I might find lots of people in one industry. Cause you can search your first degree connections that are CEOs in the software and technology and whatever you want to do. And then what I do is I ask them for a quote for content and that's how I'll start. And I'll create an ebook of the, you know, 25 CEO tips in the X, com- you know, in the X industry, and so I will revisit my relationship with them by elevating their preeminence, right? But and it's content for me, it's value for them because they're getting in front of them. Then they share it, and I grow my network. But through that, we start to build rapport. Um, I may identify something. Often I'll say, Hey, I noticed a couple things on your LinkedIn profile that could really help. Can I share some of those with you? And I offer advice. Um, and then, you know, and I'll say, You know, if you ever need anything else or if you ever need help for your team, let me know. I'm always happy to chat. And often they go, Well, what do you do for teams? Right. Like I have not, I've just said, Look, I'm always happy to. And then I can say, well, we do lots of things. What are you looking for? Well, I don't know. And then I'll say, well, here are the things that teams typically need. And they go, I want all of that. Right. And but it's soft and they they're begging for it. I hate to say, you know, I'm I keep like a distance enough that they don't feel I've invaded or bait and switched them or made them think, I got, I took, got this quote from you because I wanted to sell to you. I'm like, I bring value and let them say, "I want more, I want more, I want more." So that's I how the, I develop a weak tie.
0: I love the uh, the clear path. Um, you know, I I did a piece on this. I wrote a whole post um, with the idea of climbing up a mountain together, a summit, because most people think of a funnel, and a funnel is where you, people start at the top. A lot of people come in, and then our job is to keep them in the funnel. Where they're headed, they have no idea. It's there's no there's no um agency <laughs> when you're in a funnel. It's our job to keep you in the funnel. You may not like where you're gonna end up. Whereas what you're describing is what I you know think of as sort of the invitation to the next thing. Oh, yeah, well, are you, if you want, you can well, I'm doing this other thing if you wanna come. Maybe if you want, you know. Yeah. If you don't want to come right now, I'll I'll let you know about it again next year or six months from now. And maybe you want to join them that's fine you know no no pressure and then they they're like wait you know is there is there anything else going on that i can know about like they start to ask for more and they basically are propelling themselves forward up yes. up up and you just keep going oh there's this other thing too by the way you know if you feel like it um and if you don't if you want to skip that thing that's fine you're not if you don't need that that's okay i'll, I'll circle back when i've got something else i'll keep oh here's another piece of content you know it's just it's yeah. invitation. It's invitation. It's invitation. And it's and it's it's either they they want it and they they keep going or or they refer you because they understand more of what you do. Right. And there's no pressure. And you know, I love that you're you're giving a very clear here's how you could start this. I'm actually now thinking, I'm writing a book. I and I was trying to decide in what order I'm gonna reach out to um some folks. And of course, part of me is like, oh, when I have the book, but now I'm like, ooh some of these people I want to ask because I want to include them in the book.
1: Absolutely.
0: Like, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, like, it, you know, it's sort of like change that up. And it's a great, you know, I, I could use that as a way to re-engage, but also add value to them right away by highlighting something else awesome they're doing and then give them as a positive example in the book. So
1: You could do a bonus chapter, 101 t- uh, one-liner tips from successful zoom, zoom leaders Mm -hmm. or what, right? Like, um, yeah. I mean, that could be, that could just be what other people recommend. And it's a, it's a, you don't even have to intertwine it into your book. Interesting. Right. That's so easy.
0: Gosh, anyone listening, who's in the middle of writing a book and wants that book to sell, this is a way to re-engage because for me, ultimately I want people on the launch team because I want to get the book out there in the world and I want to get the reviews and I want to get the sales and I want to get the introductions to-, to 101
1: people. of them. Everyone in there is going to review
0: it. 100%, right. <laughs> yeah, it's that's very clever. Me,
1: Robbie. very clever.
0: Very <laughs> clever. Bryn, that's my takeaway. Gosh, I'm sure everyone listening is scribbling notes. My final question is one of my favorite. Bryn, I know you and I are going to stay in touch. And uh, shout out to Bryn for helping me move in when I first moved to, to Philadelphia Very amazing.
1: Area children and, and wife and just yeah. a
0: introduce us to a wonderful kosher deli. <laughs> yeah
1: am for Nick shout out.
0: So it's a year from now. I realized, wow, Brynn, it's been a year since I interviewed you. I'm going to of course want to know everything that you're up to. What are we going to be celebrating a year from now? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead?
1: ah So um, I'm going to continue to do, I'm growing my membership leaps and bounds in our e-learning program, but we, you'll you'll appreciate this, I think, and maybe we'll have you uh, come help kick it off. Is we have a new line of membership, which is uh, referral partner membership. So they're gonna they're gonna come in, they're gonna fill out a form and talk about who they serve, and then we're gonna partner them with people that also serve those people that are not competitors and teach them how to leverage LinkedIn, and it'll grow beyond LinkedIn, to um, how to use LinkedIn, and then we'll put them in breakouts, and they'll search each other's connections and make introductions for one another.
0: Amazing, what a cool little catalyst.
1: Yeah, I have the playbook already created. So I think that launches in January or February, it's on the calendar.
0: Brilliant, anything else on the on the radar that you wanna talk about?
1: I have, I, you know, I just grow in our membership, which to me is the most fun. We meet twice a week for group coaching and it's amazing. And I will continue to grow that because that is hands down the most fun thing that I do and rewarding.
0: You have an incredible library of content for your members. Um, You have a great podcast. You have some wonderful resources. How can people find you and connect with your work?
1: So thank you. So the library is actually, f- we have a free membership and that's and there's tons of resources in there. And that's socialsaleslink.com slash library or linkedinlibrary.com. And then the podcast is socialsaleslink.com slash podcast. And look for the podcast with Robbie.
0: Yes, we'll put a link to that also in the show yeah. notes. Thank you for all of that. We'll put all those links uh, into your book as well, all in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much for joining us for this great conversation.
1: Oh my gosh, I had so much fun, as always with you.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bryn. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 319. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources for today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when we'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week.
1: Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze Podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On The Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.